Welcome to Loserville, folks. Philip Kingston, uh, mostly faithful correspondent. Um, Tyler Wade is remote, doing the work of uh, Wabash, who's going to get apparently pimped on this show every week, regardless of their refusal to buy airtime from us. And we're going to have to do that. I was uh, back on, on campus this last weekend for my brother's graduation, and uh, a couple of people happened to listen to the show. Um, and I find uh, that hard to believe. It's right, got to be just people who care about you. And so they were like, uh, well, they were intrigued by the explicit rating that the podcast uh, receives. You know, um, I throw that on there because I swear, you know, and I don't think that's a big deal, but some people do. Well, it was um, funny. They were like, they were like, well, what am I getting into? And I was like, well, Philip, uh, he cusses occasionally. You know, it's not like listening to a, I'm like, I generally have not, I don't think, uh, on, the, on the podcast so far. But I do in my normal life. So, you know, you never know. Well, I'm not trying to hold you back. <laughs> you're, try, you're trying to keep yourself... Uh, FCC clean so you can use tapes of this for your next gig for whatever that yeah whatever that next gig becomes it was just yeah very funny they're like wow uh, <laughs> explicit explicit rating I'm like yeah we have fire takes on Dallas politics <laughs> um, so what's on your mind gosh we've got a lot of stuff um, going on so I mean the last two episodes we did about education I thought were phenomenal um, but in the time of, of talking so much about education, we sort of missed out on some important things going on in the world. I guess the place that's probably most logical to start is kind of going through the runoff elections. So early voting mm-hmm. is going on now. Uh, it's a really short, short early voting window, right? So they only have five days to early vote right. this, this time. And then election day is the 24th of, of May. So You know, I've been involved in many primary runoffs at this point and uh there is nothing more miserable they're horrible we we let them go on far too long far far too long i mean if we're going to do a second vote we should we should make people uh turn back out within 14 to 21 days i mean we should just immediately print the mail-in ballots and send them out and start running early voting within a couple of weeks after that first vote because it's just brutal and the thing that you're doing, the, the thing that's a real danger is that the, if, if you're trying to have a credible process where people's votes actually matter, then you want the same group of people voting in the primary and the runoff. That's almost impossible to do, but the way we do it by stretching it out so long and having this hidden primary runoff after the municipal election at the beginning of the month is people are just confused or they don't know about it and candidates have to spend inordinate amounts of money to just get people to turn back out and to even educate them that that it's going on and so you you run the risk of just having a totally different group of voters pick the ultimate nominee um and it's not reflective of the will of the people who consider themselves one party or the other you know new york corrected this recently by going uh, i think across the board to um instant runoff or uh, ranked choice voting however you want to describe that and 
it worked really well. Like, I mean, I think everybody's very happy with it. And um, it just, it creates a situation where you, you can always think of a group of people, candidates, like five candidates or whatever, and somebody finishes at 40% in a group of five, that person is the fucking nominee. Mm-hmm. Like the chances of everybody else's second choice being somebody other than that, it's just never going to happen. So if you run a runoff, it you just don't know who's going to show back up. Um, and if you do it as ranked choice, everybody puts down what their second choice is. And in some systems, third choice, fourth choice. But it, it just it takes all that effort out of it and it's a much truer reflection of the actual will of the people which is supposed to be the the touchstone right yeah it's uh, i mean it, crazy it's funny i uh i went and voted on monday and then i was playing golf over at tennyson and uh with a couple of friends and they were like you voted like i had my sticker on uh-huh like you voted today and i was like yeah i voted and they're like what what are we voting for and i these are people that generally are pretty plugged in right um, and I'm like, well, you know, part of this is uh, we vote so often in Texas because we don't actually want people to vote, right? Um, and so if you confuse the hell out of people but know that there's a certain demographic of people that will vote every time, right, it is easier to sort of rig the outcome. What I don't understand it, about it is, you know, runoffs can produce sort of craziness, right, because they are so un unpredictable, right? Uh, it literally is just who paid enough attention to come back out again um, and, and could, you know, play its way into some sort of crazy, crazier outcomes. You know, on the Republican side, right, there's the one of the ones that is for the railroad commissioner race, right? Uh, and there's, you've got an incumbent railroad commissioner and then this person who was in like a nearly nude ad um, right. Uh, and there's the a chance only that she, Republican I like this year. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance she could, uh, you know, she could win. Right. Uh, and I would have to think that she, again, there is no way that it could get worse. Like literally the person she's running against has ignored the Open Meetings Act multiple times. But of course, because there's limited enforcement mechanisms, it's just getting away with it. That's a, an extremely lawless commission. Yeah, that uh, I mean, the railroad commission is just a whole mess and definitely needs to be be cleaned out. Um, but, yeah, you know, you look at, at these and so they produce outcomes that they have the potential to produce outcomes that are pretty strange. And I would think that establishment type people would want to try and reduce that happening as much as possible um, to where, you know, uh, it is crazy to me that we're still doing runoffs. I mean, it just is, is wild. But we are. Right. So probably makes sense to talk about them. To some extent. I know what the first one is. I just got a piece of mail, completely anonymous, completely devoid of the statutorily required political ad paid for by and identify yourself that has been in Texas law for forever. So an anonymous mailer, hopefully people are smart enough to know that an anonymous mailer is on its face a suspect. And this didn't identify any group whatsoever, and it purports to be a comparison piece between Michelle Oker and uh, Andy Summerman. Now, I was in this race. Um, I know that if my voters had ranked choice voting 
Andy Summerman would already be the nominee because every single one of the 5,000 people who voted for me would have put either Andy or Tom Irvin as their second choice, and it would have been more than enough for Andy to secure a, an outright win. So I, I just, I, I, I'm really frustrated by this. Um, I have never seen the level of identity voting that happened in that contest where you literally had, you know, 35% of people voting for a woman who did not campaign at all, who disrespected every voter and every endorsement group, um, and, you know, and got on the ballot by fraud. Um, she filed a false affidavit to even get on the ballot, and I couldn't get the, the county party to knock her off of there. And, and, and as, as it turns out, I was right. Um, so that'll be something that county party leadership will be hearing about from me for quite a while. Um, so in any case, the, the, the comparison piece itself is incredibly deceptive. It touts that she has multiple elected official endorsers that she does not have. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm not aware of a single one that she has. The only one she's ever promoted is a former elected official named Candace Valenzuela, who's a good friend of mine and not normally a fucking moron. So I don't know what happened on this particular instance. I, I'm hoping Candace isn't suffering a head injury because she, she's our new uh, HUD administrator for this region. Yeah, that uh, definitely. Anyway, I'm, I'm mad. So we started there. There you go, right? Well, and that is that is great. And hopefully folks are paying attention to some of those down-the-belt races. I mean, having helped with Philip on the campaign, you know, when we saw the early voting results on election night that had her up so high, we were all shocked, right? Because it's like didn't show up, didn't try at all, right? Um, and, you know, you feel like our system should at the very least be one in which people who actually try can be successful. Um but if we get rewarded for not even trying, um, either because you're from Carrollton or because people just look at a list and go, well, I'll vote for the, the woman. The woman. Um, that seems... that was it. That's what it is. I talked to so many voters who were like, if I didn't know who to vote for, I just voted for the woman. And I'm like, uh, okay, I, I want greater representation for females in office for a number of reasons, but in, in part because they're so much more fun to serve with than men. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's just you gotta know something before you vote in a race. Otherwise, just fucking skip it. Yeah, leave it, leave it blank. Right. That's how I sort of feel about the. You know, when we go through all of the judges we get to vote for here, you know, I uh, because I'm not an attorney, I don't work with the news people. I know absolutely nothing about them. Right. Uh, I typically look at the bar association list, uh, you know, and see how lawyers rate them. Uh, that's really the only rubric I use. But if there's nothing beyond that, I'm like, well, I'm probably just not going to vote in that race because I don't know anything about who the hell they are. And so many people don't know that the Dallas Bar Association publishes a poll of lawyers. And believe me, the poll at times in the past has been very subject to manipulation. Um, so I don't, I, I'm not claiming that's a, a, an infallible document, but in general, if you see somebody who has extremely high support among lawyers, and I'm talking above 90% approval, or anybody who's below 20, 
then it is very safe to draw conclusions mm -hmm. on that basis. And so that, that can be an informative document, but most of the ratings aren't that high or low. And so then everyone's left with trying to find a lawyer in the family or somebody that they know or their own lawyer who can give them advice. But, you know, in essence, you're just creating proxy votes for lawyers, which, believe me, that is how we would prefer for everybody <laughs> to decide. But it's not democracy. Um, and, it, you know, I am, I am not a good Democrat on this one thing. I don't think people should elect judges. Uh, I don't think judges should face contested elections. There are systems that put judges in place and then subject them to retention elections, which I think is appropriate because bad judges will be bad and, and there will be consequences for them and news articles and whatever. And a, a bad judge up against uh, an empty chair that says, we're going to find somebody better, that's, that, that's a pretty effective way of ensuring some quality in office. Um, but for instance, there's a, a runoff in the uh, Dallas County Court, Criminal Court at Law Number 10, which is a dedicated family violence court right now. And the woman who's been in that seat is a black woman, which I mention only because black women have been extraordinarily successful seeking judicial office in Dallas County. And in most instances, that's been a good thing. Um, Tanya Parker on the, the civil district bench might be the smartest person wearing a robe down there. Um, and she, and not just smart, also has the judicial demeanor and temperament to make her a, a truly effective jurist. And I, I would love to see her, I don't know, she could do whatever she wants and I'd be happy. She's really good. Etta Mullen is the woman currently sitting on the bench in Dallas County Criminal Court at Law Number 10. Um, and she has been repeatedly disciplined by the, um, by the, uh, Judicial Conduct Commission, which is the body that regulates uh, the ethical and, and legal actions of judges in some instances, mostly the ethical stuff. And um, she's, she has abysmal bar poll ratings, just like, mm -hmm. you know, single digit. And I mean, she, there's basically universal agreement that this lady sucks, and she sucked the last time she was on the bench, which was in a different court, and people ran her off. And so somehow she got back on this bench, and it has been four years of absolute mismanagement of one of the most important courts in the city of Dallas, the one that protects children and battered uh, and abused uh, domestic partners. And so I, it's, it, it's really, it, it, to me, it drives home the gravity of the problem of how we select our, our judges. But let, let me repeat, Dallas County Criminal Court at Law Number 10. Everybody is going to be able to vote in that race if you live in Dallas County and are registered to vote. And her name is Etta Mullen, and you're going to vote against her for, um, uh, I can't remember if it's Monica or Monique, Bracey Huff. Yeah, Monique, I who think, is a, right? Yeah. Who, is a, who is a fine lawyer and will do a fantastic job. And if you just feel the need to vote for a black woman, Ms. Huff is a black woman. Your, your prayers are answered. Um, so it, that one, I mean, that one, we really need to clean out that 
that particular uh, court, and that that is that means that the Judge Mullen has to go. You know, on the Dallas County level, right? The other one is Dallas County clerk, right? So John Warren, uh, the current Correct. clerk, is in a in a runoff. Also, one that doesn't really make sense. You know, uh, any dealings that I don't know I have had with the Dallas County Clerk's Office, which was mostly around when I moved to Dallas. Uh, they seem to be doing a decent job down there. One of those that is a head scratcher. I don't really know why that's. They're in, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean they're they're okay, Tyler. The um, the software we used to have that allowed people to search for records, particularly court records, used to work, and now it does not. That's not great. But, not a great thing. Yeah. Well, but the, it's not entirely John's fault. All the counties have gone to the same system, which I don't believe was mandated by the state, but it was. Um, I think it was adopted by their. Uh, association there's a there's a county clerks association and I don't you know I always suspect when it's a procurement that produces a bad result that somebody had a boat payment to make or whatever but (laughs) so I really don't know who's to blame for our bad stuff down there but there's other stuff Um, you know every other record-keeping entity has a searchable database of elect of uh, elections records um campaign finance reports um that that kind of stuff and the currently the county website isn't even updated with the 2022 campaign finance reports of most of the candidates even again to go back to andy summerman just because i know that he filed timely he there should be two or three more reports that i know he filed that have not been published on the the website so john warren is a close friend and i support him melissa and i endorse and support him i encourage everybody to go vote for john warren because he's great he's responsive and the office is so much better than before he got there so it's not a question of he needs to go but there are improvements that could be made and there's a i mean i think john should probably understand that some of the why he is in a runoff is because there have been some missed opportunities. Yeah, then turning into you know some I guess more of the the state and federal races that are are happening in in Dallas County. So uh, one of the if there are top tickets in town, one of the top billings is the race to replace Eddie Bernice Johnson in U.S. House District Thirty between Jasmine Crockett and Jane Hope Hamilton. Um, Eddie Bernice Johnson has endorsed Jasmine Crockett. Jasmine Crockett. Uh, wrapping up her first term as state representative for District 100, right, was a big leader in the Democrats' um, walkout over, you know, Governor Abbott's voter suppression measures. Um, I feel like this has been a really ugly campaign. Um, Jasmine just missed out. Disgusting. Yeah, Jasmine just missed, you know, avoiding the runoff in March. Um, But it's been a nasty campaign, um, and I think one that has strangely sort of divided the Dallas Democratic apparatus, right? You have... Eddie Bernice backing Jasmine, a lot of more the progressive voices backing Jasmine. Uh, but then you have some, um, and I guess also Jasmine is, has the support of Elba Garcia, right? And Freddie Haynes, right? Dallas minister. But then on the opposite side for Jane Hamilton, you've got people like, um, you know, Ron Kirk, John Wiley Price, Royce West, and Rafael Anchia backing um, Jane Hope Hamilton. Uh, Jane Hamilton, uh, right, is a congressional aide. Um, huh? 
Wait, but, yeah, right. She works for Mark VC. Oh, is she working for VC now? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I would describe uh, Jane as a um, operative. Jane's an operative. Jane was uh, the local Biden campaign person. She's worked campaigns and elections for a long time. And if somebody can point me to one where she won, I would like to know that information. Um, this is a, this is a, so just cards on the table. I hosted a fundraiser for Jasmine last night. She's one of my best friends in politics. And I think she is actually the best messenger that the state democratic party has at any level. Um, she's, I think she's that good. Um, and I don't dislike Jane at all. Jane has never been anything but nice and professional to me. Um, but the way she's run this race has really damaged my opinion of her. The, the insanely nasty attacks that she's launched against, you know, what everyone agrees is a rising star in the Democratic Party and the person who, if, if, was, if she wasn't the author, she was a primary author of the most effective thing the Democrats did last session in the House. You know, it's it's gross. It's really a gross way to operate. And I think it's a mistake because I think Democratic voters hate negative campaigning against other Democrats. Um, in certain instances, maybe you get away with it, but I don't think this is one of those instances. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm disappointed um, and really kind of grossed out. The, the crazy things they say... They're, they're saying that she's, like, Trump-backed, which is, I mean... Because it, of the whole it, cryptocurrency piece. I mean, yeah, so I tweeted my uh, endorsement list uh, in the Next Generation Action Network. I thought it was excellent. Replied back to me. Uh, and they have this whole website, right, that's like the real Jasmine Crockett. Uh, and it's just these hit pieces of things that are just, I mean, like crazy. Uh, they're crazy. Things. To, to respond to that. I mean, Jasmine, for all intents and purposes, probably was the face of the Democrat walkout, right? Um, and probably to the chagrin of even le state leadership in that caucus, right? Where I think she understood. Uh, well, there you've Texas hit on Democrats something. Been, yeah, right. Texas Democrats have been There you've hit on like, why some people are yeah, backing her. We want to be nice to Republicans uh, and they just don't want to be nice back. Like, I don't think that's the way that Democrats win in Texas isn't by being nice to become vice chairmen of random committees in Austin, right? Uh, it's, we need to fight for the things that we believe in. And um, to me, Jasmine was, you know, the most vocal leader, the most upfront person about, you know, this is something that we will not stand for at a time when other folks in part of and it was about voting rights back down right yeah i mean if the if we can't have a right to vote right uh if we're going to impinge the right to vote we lose everything else um and so that's one that is an interesting one to see i hope that jasmine prevails um but it has been really disappointing to see how negative and nasty that campaign has has I, I think that negativity is going to backfire i'm pretty sure jasmine has it um but it, it, back to who's supporting jane hamilton um, okay, who's mad that EBJ didn't support them? 
well, Jane Hamilton, uh, Royce West. Um, and then who's mad that Jasmine made state Democratic caucus leaders in the House look like fucking fools and who essentially is going to ensure that none of them retain their leadership positions in the next session? Rafael Anchia, Chris Turner, um, these, these people and the people who want to replace them like Julie Johnson. You know, the, 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 these are, um, I think there's a little bit of petty politics in that, that there's some personal hurt feelings among those people, but the larger issue is real. It is what you mentioned. It's progressivism versus what I call uh, the Clinton wing of the party. Um, wh however you recall the Clintons, whether your feelings are positive or negative, I hope that all Americans can unite around the idea that they still have way too much power um, because anything more than zero is too much for those two. It's, it's, it is time for them to step back. Um, it, and so, you know, it, the, the proxy battle in every one of these uh, congressional races is between Nancy Pelosi and AOC. Um, and when you see people line up behind Henry Cuellar as opposed to Jessica Cisneros in, uh, I think that's District 23 20, in South 28, Texas. 28, yeah, 28. Oh, it's 28. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just, that is just who will vote for speaker, who will vote for which candidate for speaker. Um, and, you know, you can point to things Nancy Pelosi has done and say that they are positive. I look and I see her not wanting to give any vindication to very, very popular progressive ideas and missing opportunities. And I have literally never seen a national figure who's worse at messaging than Nancy Pelosi. I think we'd be way better off with at least a more centrist Democrat, you know? Yeah, um, like a Tim Ryan, right? Even who's running for Senate in Ohio, but if not um, a, if not a, a really a more a real progressive rokana yeah. has always struck yeah, me Rokana as probably the best interesting. speaker yeah. candidate but it, it's the same thing that's going on in the texas house there's a battle between now chris turner has said he's not going to put himself up for party leadership caucus, or caucus yeah. leader anymore and that's kind of funny because it wasn't ever going to happen anyway it's not his choice but, you know, she, I think Julie Johnson would like to be the next one in that ideological framework. And to give people a shorthand uh, version of Julie's ideology, she's a Bloomberg Democrat. Uh, you know, it's okay to be a Bloomberg Democrat. It's a, it's a choice you can make. I've got some questions for you if you make that choice, but whatever. That, you know, it's, that's, that's fine. That's, that's politics. But and then on the other side are people like Jasmine. It won't be Jasmine, obviously, in the next session. Um, but uh, Jessica Gonzalez, um, you know, some of these other ones who are on the left who can work with everybody. They're not seen as you know wild asses. Like if I somehow wound up in the legislature, which is a, a fate a fate <laughs> worse than death for me, I would never run for the legislature. You know, I would be, uh, you know, utterly unelectable to leadership, and that that would be absolutely fine with me, also. But reasonable people who have an ideology, I I would say, Jessica Gonzalez is a good example of that, versus the people who want to replace Chris Turner, like Julie Johnson or Rafael Anchia. 
Um, and, it, you know, some of this writing is on the wall. Like, Turner already said he's not going to try. I have heard that Rafael is going to be, he's going to lose his uh, chairmanship of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus. Um, you know, uh, Joe Moody, uh, who was the vice speaker this last time, is kind of a bone that was thrown to him for um, arranging for the Democrats to support Dade Phelan for speaker. He, uh, he is widely held to have misled members about what the Republicans were willing to do in terms of amendments to the really bad bills in order to get Democrats to come back from the quorum break. And there are multiple stories to the point, and Joe's a friend, I mean, I, I feel bad kind of saying this, but I think whether intentional or not, he really misled his own party and people's feelings were badly hurt because there are people who would not have come back uh, other than they thought they could massage the election bill, the transgender bill, with enough amendments to make them less harmful. Which is just not going to happen, right? I mean, it's the, and I think along these well, sort of it, similar. it could have yeah. if you had leaders who are willing to hold the party together create solidarity in the caucus and use it like a hammer. I mean, what would have happened if they never came back? Under mm -hmm. Texas law, nothing, nothing, nothing happens. Yeah. They could stay gone forever, and eventually someone would just have to call an end to the session. Yeah, yeah. Well, and inter the, you know, sort of proxy fights, I think, continue, especially of this, you know, what I would call more of an appeasement stance versus one that's going to be a, a reactive stance. You know, in uh, House Representative 114, where you and I both live, right? Um, I will say I was someone, admittedly, that uh, you could probably call it ageism uh, of some sorts, right? But when I saw that John Bryant had thrown his hat into the ring um, at the, it, as we were heading towards the March 1st primary, it was one that at least gave me pause because I'm like, you know, we've got all of these young people that want to run, and then we have this real, real old guy uh, running, right? And thinking about where, gosh, where I want the future of our country to go, um, I thought that uh, John Bryant's experience, while valuable, was one that I had questions about, right? Now, how things shook out to where his opponent yeah, is. Yeah, it's Alex, ageism. Yeah, right. That, I mean, that is, right, to a T. <laughs> As things shook out, right, his opponent challenger is Alexandra Gallo, uh, and I couldn't be Gio. more of a – Gio, Alexandra Gia. I couldn't be more of a, uh, you know, a loud supporter of John Bryant um, for a number of reasons. One, I think John understands that you – will not win or achieve success in Austin by being nice to Republicans because they Correct. aren't interested in working with Democrats. They're interested in continuing their hold on power by hook or crook or any means possible, right? Um, I also was skeptical of Alex because she got the endorsement of the Dallas Morning News, which is not always a kiss <laughs> of death, but one that uh, in Democratic circles always makes me at least question somebody's bona fides. Um, and I feel like John is definitely the voice that we, we need, uh, representing 114, to be that fighter for the values that people in our part of, of Dallas you know, hold pretty strongly. Well, and I would say that the other person in that field who could potentially have been that person is probably Chris Leal. Yeah. Um, and it is worth noting that Chris Leal and Kendall Scudder are yeah, the Chris only and Kendall both, right, could easily have been that, and they've both endorsed John. Yeah. Yes, they both endorsed John. Kendall is not a progressive, and he, he admits that freely. You know, he has a set of values that were 
given to him through his background, and I, I respect them, but he's a hell of a communicator, and he would have been, you know, a loud mouth in Austin and not nice to the Republicans and all that stuff. So the, we had three guys in that race who I thought were pretty um, valuable, credible. I mean, nothing against Alex Guillo or Charlie Gearing. They're, I mean, those are fine people. Um, I, I like them both. Uh, but we had three that were kind of standout. But John's just, he just knows more. And if he's willing to do this, um, then God bless him. The guy obviously has nothing to prove to anybody at this point. He's just so angry at the way Chris Turner and that crowd have run the Democratic caucus from the minority and not made any headway or any gains at all. It, it, he's, he's upset. And I, I've had many conversations with him about that. This. this is this is a friend and mentor to me so i'm again you can say i'm in the bag for him that's fine i don't give a shit i'm smarter than y'all um <laughs> the uh, in this one narrow field um the uh so i would say that race i think it's fine i think it's going to be john um but it's really interesting to hear what the Alex Guillo people are saying about John. Um, they're making nakedly ageist attacks on him, for one thing. Um, and they are, here's the one that makes me insane. I, and I really need to up my dose of whatever meds I'm going to take because I, I hear so many things that make me lose my mind now. Um, so John lives on Swiss Avenue. Um, has done quite well for himself in a number of ventures. And um, you know, and the listeners probably know, that being a, a state house representative in the state of Texas pays $7,200 a year. Um, it is one of the most glaring problems with state governance in the country, frankly. And... Um, the Guillo people are telling people that the only reason John is running is because he went bankrupt. So I would like Ms. Guillo to explain to me how bankruptcy is cured by $7,200 a year. Fair question? That's, I think that's a fair question. I think it's a very fair Anyway, it's a, it's a little bit of a mirror image to the, the Jasmine... Um, Jane race um, they always say in politics you don't punch down and it sounds to me like Alex is punching down now the big deal there is also the identity politics thing I mean she's she is in the runoff because of the woman thing she was the only woman on the ballot and we had the most extraordinary um, identity delta on female candidates this last time that I've ever seen. And by the way, if you voted for Alex or you voted for Michelle Oker um, and you want to be offended that I'm saying that you didn't exercise any independent judgment and just did it because of uh, an identity politics thing, die mad. That's, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I mean, a very interesting um, race for sure. And yeah, I mean, when we were looking at those cross tabs all night, that was the thing that, that stuck out to us a lot. And again, there's not also, I guess we should say, nothing wrong with people voting for women just because they're women. If that's a direction people want to go into, 
that's fine, right? Um, but people are fair to have questions about that as a, as a strategy, right? Um, no, well, it's race, dumb. It's dumb as fuck. It's dumb, right? It's not you know, a great... It, not there a, are, it would be there, no better than going and voting for every man, right? I mean, neither one is a particularly... There are thousands uh, of qualified women who run across the country every cycle, and they should be voted for, and they should get into office, unless they're in a race with people clearly better than they are. And then, for God's sake, read something. Um, uh, you know, I, Alex yeah. Gio came to see me before she ran, and uh, on the advice of a good friend of hers, who's a very good friend of mine, and uh, and so we went to lunch, and I asked her a bunch of different questions. I asked her about, I said, look, I'm just trying to get a shorthand version of where you are politically. Um, you're good with the progressive groups, Texas Organizing Project, Workers' Defense Project. These were not names that were resonating with her. That, that I didn't get the sense she had heard those names. Um, and so I, I popped this one at her. I said, okay. In terms of people in the legislature today, are you a Chris Turner person or are you a Jasmine Crockett person? And like a shot, she said, Chris Turner. Oh, Chris Turner's done a great job. Well, no, objectively speaking, Chris Turner's done a shit job and he lost his job because of doing a shit job. And so somebody who doesn't understand that, I mean, fuck, no, you're not going to the legislature. And if you do go to the legislature and you represent me, you're I, I'm going to spend a little bit of time trying to get you up to speed, and you're probably not going to like what I have to say. Um, other races in DFW in the Texas House, House District 100, Vinton Jones and Sandra Crenshaw. You know, Vinton is CEO of a Southern Black Policy and Advocacy Network. Um, Crenshaw is a former Dallas City Council member and perennial sort of candidate, right? Um, it seems like most of the Democrat establishment, moderates and progressives, have sort of coalesced around Venton's campaign, and so that one seems like it would will go that that direction. Which I you think hope, is a good but thing. I mean, Sandra is in that race not because she campaigned at all, but because she has name ID and she finished and first in the runoff. Yeah, right? and it's yeah. so it's or in the first election. It, yeah, it's ugly. I mean, this is ugly, and Sandra Crenshaw is a a, a really hateful person now. In her defense, Sandra admits, if pressed, that she should probably take her meds. Um, so I, I do want to be have a little bit of grace for her because um, the things that she's saying, I don't think she always has the kind of internal control over that that we would hope people would. Um, but obviously, that's a cautionary statement about putting her in any position of leadership. Um, and so, you know, it, when she, this woman, when she was serving on city council, and this is back in some of the really bad old days when we really didn't pay at all for council service, um, she became homeless. She was living in city hall for a period of time. Um, and that's, again, that is not negative against Sandra. That is a problem of Dallas's system of governance. Her people elected her. And I got to tell you, back then, she made a lot more sense than she makes now. She's a very bright person. So that's, that is really not a knock on her. I'm just telling you, she's had a rough go of it. And um, some of the things that she has said that are very hateful, um, I think you can forgive if you, if you think through how she got where she is. But uh, where she is should not be 
the Capitol building in Austin. Although I talked to somebody the other day who said, you know what, if she happens to win, she's going to be the most entertaining thing to happen in Austin in many sessions. And, 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 the, and they made the point that I often make, the voters of District 100 will have deserved it. <laughs> Speaking of, of cast of characters in Austin, I guess uh, we, well, one more local race uh, before we head sort of statewide. So uh, U.S. House 24, um, this would be a, a Democrat that would challenge Beth Van Dyne in the fall between uh, Derek Gay, who is a Marine Corps veteran and a business person, uh, and accountant Jan McDowell. Jan has run a couple of times uh, before uh, for that seat and has lost. Um, I happen to know Derek uh, through a, this random sort of friend of a friend um, situation, but one of my fraternity brothers in college uh, grew up in Ohio. Uh, his brother was great friends with Derek growing up. Um, and so know Derek through, as a friend of a friend, um, great man, uh, again, has been a Marine Corps veteran, a successful business person. Though that military veteran, you know, uh, candidate we've tried as a Democrat against Beth Van Dyne in 2020 and didn't have success, maybe there's hope that it we could did? be a little... Well, uh, yeah, her opponent, Kim Olson, was uh, Air Force. Kim Olson did not win the nomination. No, oh, no, she, who was the one that ran? Candace Valenzuela. Candace Valenzuela, okay, okay. Kim Olson, Kim Olson has some, has a less stellar record than this gentleman, Mr. Gay. Um, So that, that is explainable through some different things. Uh, Kim Olson would have been beaten much worse than Candace was, I believe. Okay. Um. And I, well, I'm they, not, yeah. not everybody agrees with me on that. The can't, you know, Kim has her fans, and I don't have anything negative to say about her other than her, her record isn't helping her a lot. Um, so, yeah, that one, you know, it's it, the redistricting. So they drew it to protect Beth even more, right? Oh, yeah, um, it, it's impossible. So what Derek and Jan are running for is the opportunity to put up the best fight they possibly can with the hope of either making gains in the future or also, and no shame in this, uh, being rewarded in some other way by the party, which is, I've often said, as Democrats, we don't do a good enough job of. These Republicans run in suicide races where they can't possibly win, and they get rewarded by the party. They get jobs, they get appointments, they get other things. And I don't see a real problem with that. Um, if, you know, it, as long as we're not actively promoting, you know, jackasses, um, if somebody does something for the party and, and running in an unwinnable race is definitely doing something for the party, um, I believe they should be rewarded. Now, the thing is, I could be wrong, you know? You, 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 you go by the chalk in politics and you're gonna bet wrong. I, I was probably the chalk in my race. You know, and it didn't. That's not what happened at all. Um, so, Beth Van Dyne, uh, anything could happen between now yeah. and November. I mean, she She's might pretty have, terrible. Right? She might have somebody else kill himself in her front yard. Like this yeah. is a woman who, the minute she got elected mayor in Irving, just like threw her family in the garbage and has been. Uh, I, you know, people can live how they want to live, but you run on family values and your kids and the pictures and all this stuff, and then you throw that away the minute you're in office. I think what you see is a lack of integrity and a lack of real values. She is a she is a construction. 
it's just a yeah political a completely political animal and seemingly a real bad time um oh. she's it's interesting i've debated her a couple of times at, at like at, you know texas trib events or whatever and um she's charming in person it's only like when she's not capable of being confronted that she says um awful things about muslims and and awful things about um other women uh, i've heard that uh awful things about latinos awful 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 she's dark nasty inside but she covers it up and has a veneer of friendliness when you talk with her um and it, it, i don't know it's very strange i, I it, there's also a little bit of lack of light behind the eyes which is just not a great uh, not a great uh, asset um okay statewide races so the top one statewide uh is probably attorney general on all sides right so um incumbent indicted uh, i always like saying that the indicted incumbent attorney general ken paxton twice indicted i think uh attorney general ken paxton against george p bush on the republican side uh, i think everybody expects ken paxton to win um i'm fascinated by that i don't understand it yeah, right. Uh, those people just seem to like him. And unfortunately, the Bush name, right, has been so hurt uh, by uh, the Trump wing of the party that I think that drags George P. down a lot. George P. also not real great at his current job and has seemingly sold his soul to cater to that uh, ultra MAGA crowd. Um, he almost ruined the Alamo. I mean, Jesus. Which, well, Land yeah. commissioner is literally the dumbest, easiest job in state government, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, so um, that's an interesting one, and probably one that the, if the Democrats have circled statewide as being the most vulnerable Republican, Ken Paxton would be at the top of that list. And so consequently, right on the Democrat side, uh, that race is also probably the most important one or interesting to watch statewide between Galveston, former Galveston Mayor Joe Jaworski and South Not Texas. Not Dallas Mayor, Galveston Mayor. Galveston, pardon me, Galveston. <laughs> uh, Galveston Mayor Joe Jaworski and uh, South Texas Civil Rights Attorney Rochelle Garza. Um, Joe Jaworski seems like a really nice guy. He's um, awesome. Has, I think, raised He's not a Democrat, but he's, he's awesome. Um, and Rochelle Garza is somebody that I think we feel pretty excited about. Um, you know, she has a really strong track record of fighting for, you know, reproductive rights um, in South Texas. Um, and I feel like would give Democrats a better chance of knocking off Ken Paxton than would Joe. That's accurate. Um, but if I'm honest, uh, either if either one of them runs a credible campaign between next Tuesday and November, uh, either one could beat Ken Paxton. Uh, Justin Nelson ran in 2018. Uh, I really like Justin. Solid dude and incredibly bright. Um, but he could not raise any money. He got no traction. And he came within three points of beating Ken Paxton. Um, so any decent candidate, and both of these remaining candidates are at minimum decent, and I think Rochelle is actually outstanding, um, they're going to beat him unless they do something wrong or, I mean, unless there's unexpected stuff. Again, trusting the chalk. But the chalk says they beat him. Uh, and... I think a lot of Republicans who are not kind of insider or more knowledgeable about politics are in denial about that, because I think Paxton would not have the support he has in the primary. 
um, and everybody seems to think he's going to win the runoff if they if they understood that he's basically unelectable, that any decent Democrat can beat him. Um, and this is I I'm calling it right here. I don't really care what anybody else says. I don't really care what any polling says. Don't show it to me. N do not at me. Don't don't do not give a fuck. Um, Ken Paxton is going to lose if he is the nominee um, and deserves to lose. And there's every possibility that between the primary and the general, um, he will be um, convicted of the crime he's indicted for or indicted by the feds on the crimes he is under investigation for or bankrupted by the civil lawsuits from the people he illegally fired from his office, um, the guy is in a world of hurt. And I would not, do not discount the possibility that other state Republicans, uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, will work to make sure he's not the nominee going into November because if something happens and he is no longer eligible for office, then they get to have a process in the Republican Party for picking a replacement nominee that does not involve a general plebiscite. And I think I would not be surprised at all to see them try to engineer that. Yeah. That was uh, so in Indiana went through something similar last year. Our attorney general was uh, oh, right. accused of. Uh, sexual misconduct by members of the state legislature, um, and in Indiana, um, man, if I'm if I'm going to commit yeah. sexual misconduct, elected officials is the very Probably last not, pool I'm fishing in. Yeah, not a great not a great look for him, uh, especially ones that are from the opposite political party. Also, not great. Um, <laughs> well, that makes it spicier. Now I respect him again. A <laughs> little spicy. Uh, but in Indiana, uh, for those statewide races other than governor, um, voters don't get to choose. It's uh, it's done by a party convention. And so yep. there was a huge fight on the convention about him uh, last year. Fortunately, he lost that because the governor came out against against him. Um, it will be interesting to see. And I guess maybe even, you know, you could possibly see an Abbott now that he has secured you know, his nomination, you know, they could even come out against Ken, I guess, before the 24th if they wanted to. But no, they're, they're uh, not going to do that. They, they they had a chance to engineer some other ways to get Ken out of the way before now. For instance, they could have urged the DA in Collin County to move forward and continue the prosecution. And I just have to tell the listener, the reason he's under indictment is because he swore to the elements of a crime in a civil case. I am told that he was represented by a lawyer in that case, so both of them are fucking idiots. Um, I don't know. Um, so they could have worked harder to make sure he wasn't the nominee, um, and that would have that probably would have served their party better. I'm glad they didn't do it. Um, but if they if if they find a way to get rid of him, I would strongly suspect you see Ava Guzman as the Republican nominee, and I will work very hard for Rochelle. I will give her money, but she will not beat Ava Guzman. Mm -hmm. um, she can beat Ken Paxton. She cannot beat the standard replacement level Republican. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other statewide races on uh, the Democrat side, so Lieutenant Governor uh, Mike Collier, um, you're in Houston area accountant, and then Carrollton State Rep. Michelle Beckley. 
the polling that was out this week from the University of Texas seems to favor Beckley, but a lot of folks undecided in that race. Collier, of course, came within you know five points of beating Dan Patrick in 2018. Um, this is an interesting one. I think Collier has raised a lot more money than Michelle has. Um, I think seemingly would give, again, Democrats a better chance of beating Dan Patrick. I do worry that if he doesn't run away with the, the this, I don't think that bodes well for his chances in November. Um, oh, what, how do you relate a primary runoff outcome to chances in November? I think if you struggle to get the, the party to coalesce behind you, um, I worry about what that means for folks um, in November. And I could be, I mean, Dan Patrick is such a terrible person that maybe people will come together anyway, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I see a strong correlation between margin of victory in a primary runoff and performance in the general, but I, I would be willing to see people's date. There is somebody listening to this podcast who knows more Most about that data yeah. than I do and will probably send it. So, um, <laughs> I um, I think, I mean, Collier is the superior candidate by far, 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 super far. Um, you can't, it won't take you long on the Google machine to find uh, Michelle Beckley's former um, uh, legislative office staffers trashing her uh, online. And I have never been with Michelle Beckley when she was not um, slandering other Democrats. Uh, I, I don't know who votes for her. I think it's that gender identity thing again. Um, and I'm hopeful that there will be a little higher information voters in this runoff and send Mike, Mike on as our nominee. And I think he could win. I, again, I, the, anybody who wants to call in, write in, we don't have a phone number, but Anybody who wants to contact us and say that I'm being Pollyanna is welcome to do so. But you don't, Mike has so much more money and so much more name recognition than he did in 2018. I just believe that that could be worth five points and, and five points is all it takes. And Dan Patrick is approaching the Ted Cruz level of hated in the state, you know? So I don't know, I, I don't, I, I don't give, a lot of money to people who can't win, in my estimation. And I don't have that problem with Mike. I gave him money. I'm going to give him more money. I, I, I'm excited about that race. Um, other ones on the, the state side. So Comptroller, um, it was interesting. So the, what there's uh, Brian, uh, uh, accountant, uh, Janet Dudding against uh, political newcomer Angel Vega. Tried to do some research on Angel. His website apparently has been taken over by uh, hackers. So I couldn't actually <laughs> get to his website. So I don't actually know anything about him. Um, you know, Comptroller, pretty important job. Um, Janet Dudding seems to have really, really impressive credentials, or does, I shouldn't say seem, does have very impressive credentials, I think would be an excellent state comptroller. I think she wins easily. Um, you always wonder in Texas, in a Democratic primary, whether uh, being a woman or having a Latino last name is a bigger deal. And I think in the last few cycles, we've seen that being a woman is a bigger deal. And she's just by far more qualified. He seemed like a nice guy. He didn't seem to understand what the office did. I read his, uh, 
I think his morning the, news, the news uh, yeah, which was responses that are just like, what is he talking? Like stuff that doesn't have to do with being the comptroller at, at all. Um, and then land commissioner's race. This is another one that I, in my mind, never should have made it to a runoff. Um, you know, <laughs> Sandra Grace Martinez against Jay Kleeberg. You know, Jay ties to the King Ranch family has actually been a conservationist, right? Being land commissioner deals with that a lot. Jay Kleberg to me seems to be far and away a, a much more qualified, a much better candidate. Yeah, and okay, so back to the woman and Latino. Yeah. When they you would think you would right? think she'd be like on rails, but you got to understand how South Texas reacts where her where her votes are coming from. You got to understand how they react to the Kleberg name, and that's why he finished so far ahead. I think um, I, I anticipate he trounces her. Those are most of the interesting statewide ones. If folks have way too much time on their hands and want to look at some South Texas runoffs, I can talk about them quickly. Uh, I'm here now, but a lot of these proxy fights again between the progressive wing of the party and a more moderate sort of conservative wing of the Democrat Party. The big one, we've already talked about Henry Cuellar and Jessica Signeros. Also interesting ones, U.S. House District 15 between Ruben Ramirez and Michelle Vallejo. Um, 15 is uh, a top target among Republicans. Um, you know, Biden won the district narrowly. GOP, you know, their redistricting made it a little bit more redder, which led to the incumbent, Vicente Gonzalez, to actually leave and run in a mm -hmm. different district, right? Uh, district 34. Um, Ruben Ramirez is an attorney and an army veteran, ran before. Um, Vallejo is an activist and a small business owner. Um, I think Michelle Vallejo seeming a much better candidate, but again, an interesting one to watch. Um, a couple house races down here, Senate 27, Morgan Lamantia and Cyril Stapleton Barrera. Um, to replace uh, Eddie Lucio Jr., who is a you know a social conservative uh, Democrat who uh, is retiring. Um, Lucio Thank has God. A, yeah, Lucio has endorsed Lamantia, um, and Lamantia has gone after Governor uh, had attacked both Governor Abbott um, and Joe Biden on immigration, and is against rescinding Title Forty Two, which is supposed to happen next week. Um, and then Texas House 37, Ruben Cortez Jr. and Luis Villarreal. Um, Republicans created sort of a new district in Cameron County here in South Texas, which includes South Padre Island. Um, it's a district that Biden would have only won by 2%. Um, Villarreal worked for Eddie Lucio Jr. Cortez is sort of a more progressive member of the State Board of Education. Um, so some interesting proxy fights of this moderate progressive um, fight happening in South Texas um, if you want to have things to Rule of thumb, if you see a new district that was drawn and the analysis is that it, that Joe Biden would have won it by any less than five points, it's probably red. Um, Joe Biden substantially outperformed Donald Trump on the splits in Texas and the race to watch to determine whether a new district is red or blue is the um, John Cornyn race? That that is the that is the mo that's the closest thing to the blandest Republican against the blandest Democrat, Democrat you can possibly yeah. get. That that yeah. determines the split. All right, I've got I've got local shit. You want to go yeah. to that? Yeah, we did runoffs. Yeah, local stuff. I like doing the runoffs though. I love that shit. Yeah, as, as you obviously do too. You you have learned. 
you're down there working for Wabash. Um, obviously, you have uh, spent some time getting to know the races. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, cool, nerdy. I mean, there are lots of words for it, right? Probably well, also why I'm listen. Singing. Who's listening to this? <laughs> Do you know who our most famous listener is? You may know this. I don't know how much you've listened to this, or um, it's Mark Followill, the voice of the Mavericks. Mavericks, yeah. Huh. <laughs> there we go. And they have a big I, game tonight. You could have knocked me over with a feather when he tweeted something about Loserville. I was like, oh my god, really? <laughs> Um, okay. Last week, was it last week or was it the week before? Last week, I think. Council adopted a suite of changes to um, the affordable housing zoning regulations. Um, two different programs. One they called MIH. Um, mixed income housing density bonuses. So extra buildable envelope that you get on your property for a certain amount of affordable housing that you offer. And they're fairly liberal about what they call affordable housing. They're very, very liberal about how they're defining the income limits, which is different than how the federal government is doing it currently. Um, and you get more units and more height uh, by right, you don't have to go to the city council and ask. You simply have to provide proof of affordable housing. And they defined the income limits in a way that will allow developers who are charging $1,800 a month for a one-bedroom apartment in the city of Dallas to receive these bonuses. The other key piece of what they did, well, the biggest thing that they did probably even bigger than that, is they adopted a fee in lieu of providing affordable housing. So for luxury developments, places where the developer just doesn't want to do affordable housing, and this actually does make sense in some developments like luxury condo, there's not a, there's not a real good way to build affordable in luxury condo. Um, so they can pay a fee in lieu of providing the actual units and council passed a fee that is high enough that a lot of developers are going to choose to build affordable housing rather than pay the fee fee goes into a housing trust fund that's used to build affordable housing in other places so that's not bad and we're not going to be angry at developers who choose to pay the fee but other part of the mih program the mixed income housing program that is worrying the shit out of me i don't know how else to say it is that they increased the incentives to build housing in blighted areas of town far beyond what they did in what we call high opportunity areas of town. So in the affordable housing world, this is a problem. Um, the United States in 1968 started building affordable housing using federal money. And it was a fantastic idea that was ultimately undone by extremely poor execution primarily because of the ability of cities using zoning and using other political processes to concentrate all of that affordable housing in the same neighborhoods and it increased segregation. Dallas used in We called it projects. 
the projects. Yeah, right? yeah everyone, yeah. It, when people hear affordable housing, they immediately think of Cabrini Green in Chicago, mm-hmm. which Chicago. is no yeah. longer standing, <laughs> much less operating. So you can you can start to forget that if that's your racist idea of affordable housing. Um, but it's not untrue that places like Cabrini Green or places like Jamaica Queens have not done well by the people who needed the affordable housing. And what we have come to learn over the intervening years is that mixed income housing is the way to go. You have you know market rate renters living next to people who have affordable housing and nobody really knows like it doesn't i've lived in one of these buildings and you don't know you just don't know so um in 2014 the city got sued by hud over this problem dallas had gone from a city in 1970s that was desegregating to literally the most segregated large city in the United States, a title we still hold to this very day. Um, And the way we did that is we put all of the TDHCA, Texas Department H Housing, uh, and something. (laughs) I'll put it in the show notes. Um, All that money and all the HUD money in exactly the same areas. Um, and it's it's a very few census tracts in Southern Dallas. And what it did is it concentrated poverty. So, you know, one thing that people have learned about urban development is that when you live in proximity to people who have more resources and better schools and jobs and transportation, you tend to do better. And when you live in places that have no transportation jobs, um, people with resources or good schools you tend to do extremely poorly and you get effects like generational poverty which is not a uh, a feature that that exists in many other developed countries um so the you know the rule from hud that came out of a lawsuit that was filed by the inclusive communities project which is an affordable housing advocate here in dallas and and a and a law firm they sue the city when the city fucks up affordable housing and they've done it many times and one of the cases went to the supreme court and the supreme court ruled basically that if you had a census tract that had federally funded affordable housing in it already you couldn't put any more there just stop doing it and that has been the rule for a while hud regulations have codified it have tweaked it a bit whatever else The city is using a tool called the MVA, the Market Value Analysis, which breaks down the city into smaller pieces than census tracts and then rates them on an A through I scale, I think. I think I is the worst. Um, And the city's new bonus plan for, for density gives the greatest incentive to develop in the H and I categories which is exactly, it mirrors what we did for 40 years that got us sued by HUD. I have not been able to get an answer from HUD about whether they consider the MVA to be similar to the census tract analysis that they do for their fair housing analysis. I have not been able to find out if the city has gotten an explicit waiver on this. I don't think so because I've asked people who would know. Um, And I sent borderline alarmist 
emails to counsel to say, don't pass this. It is not fully cooked. It's not ready. And I say this as a person who's in development on an eight unit apartment complex that is going to take advantage of these bonuses in order to put more units there because I'm offering affordable housing. So I have a reason to know this stuff and a reason to want a bonus. Um, and so the fact that they're using the wrong income limits so that we're going to allow more density in places that are still renting for unaffordable rents, I've kind of gotten over that because really what that says is we're just going to build a lot more housing regardless of where it is. And that's basically a good thing. I don't give a shit. That's fine. Uh, we just handed every owner of multifamily property, especially the infill stuff, which is called MF2. Um, we just handed them uh, a lot of money. We just handed them a lot of money or the opportunity to make a lot of money. And that's fine and because it will create housing. If it's $1,800 for a one bedroom, you can tell me if you think that's affordable. Um, I don't. Um, but on the other stuff, I don't know how it passed fair housing review. I received a response to my alarmist email that said it did pass fair housing review and they were going to put each new project through fair housing review again. And the city's fair housing department in the past has actually been reasonably good um, at determining if something affirmatively furthers fair housing, which is the federal standard that uh, uh, who was the former HUD guy under Trump? Uh, ben, what's the guy's ben, last name? Ben Carson, the ben brain Carson. surgeon. Yeah, he he tried to administratively revoke the affirmatively further fair housing rule, and he did not succeed. So that is the rule. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, what an asshole. Ugh, I haven't thought about him in a while. Um, so I'm... I don't know what to do. I, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go build my project and we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm severely worried that council, in addition to doing a bunch of extremely good things with regard to housing and with regard to that fee in lieu that will produce more affordable housing, also may have set us on a course to get sued by HUD again. And I don't think the next time they're going to be that friendly because the last time it required uh, Julian Castro to basically overrule his own enforcement department to keep us from losing tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think you can say Julian maybe even made the wrong decision. Um, it, it, it never really got brought up in his presidential campaign, but I know, for instance, Jim Schutz wrote many articles about how he did exactly the wrong thing in that regard. And so I, I don't know. I, I, I was on the council at the time, um, you know, got sued. Don't, don't love that part. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little sensitive about it, I guess. And I'm in, I'm in the industry, so I'm, I'm a little sensitive about it, but I, I'm, I will watch, I guess, uh, with curiosity, what happens going forward, who takes advantage of the program um, who doesn't and where the housing develops. Also, 
you can look at the MVA online. If you Google Dallas market value analysis, the city has a website where you can look at each property and it goes down to a very fine detail level. Uh, and it's fascinating. And you'll, you, can, you can look at where your house is in terms of how Dallas rates the quality of your property. And I will say that in my experience doing that, we paid a lot of money twice to a Philadelphia consultant to do this analysis, once for the residential, once for the commercial, I find it to be the least reliable indicator of the quality of real estate that I have ever seen. It looks almost like it was dartboard shit. It's nuts. And it is the basis of your city of Dallas housing policy at this point. Yeah, it does not seem great. And definitely, I mean, a huge, huge issue, right? I mean, uh, Dallas is growing like crazy. Um, we don't have enough places for people to live, especially ones that are affordable, right? Um, As an example, Melissa looked up the MVA classification of the site where Alamo Manhattan, a very, very good developer, is building a new uh, multifamily tower over off Fairmont in Uptown. Now I can tell you that they bought it years ago, it's where their offices have been, but that if it came on the market today, the dirt on, you know, where they're building this building would be 200 to $250 a square foot, which should tell you something about the value of the property. In the MVA, it is listed as an E-grade property, A, B, C, D, E, leading me to question, where the fuck is the A property? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's very, very interesting. You didn't sound that interested. No, I mean, housing. I, I just wonked uh, out yeah, for I about a, 10 minutes. That was a big wonk moment for sure. Uh, real estate developing, not a thing that, that I know a lot about. I do know about paying rent. Uh, and uh, and try to find affordable housing units um, and know that it's a huge problem for the city. And so to me, seemingly anything that would make Dallas's already not great uh, racist history of housing worse, generally something I would not be a fan of. Yeah, it seems bad, right? Yeah, it seems uh, that seems not great. Um, other things going on in Dallas. I mean, our mayor... Uh, is spending his time rather than focusing on affordable housing, saying crazy things on Twitter. Um, I had a not a walk out. How moment, is but this a, news? A, yeah, I had a a meltdown moment about it yesterday on social media. But but Eric Johnson forming the special committee to look into sports teams, professional sports franchises, uh, and attracting new ones and retaining existing ones. Um, and then there were people that. I generally think seem to have their stuff together uh, that came out and were like, this is a great idea, like Adam Basildua. Uh And I'm like, what in the hell, like where, what world are we living in? Are they living in where uh, we should be worrying about attracting new professional sports franchises to the city of Dallas? We just spent 10 minutes talking about, we have a huge affordable housing crisis, right? Um, our crime statistics are not great. Our roads are falling apart um, and are in, in very poor shape. Um, I mean, God, you could make a list. We haven't figured out what to do with short-term rentals. 
Um, who the hell knows if we're going to have enough drinking water to last us for another century of growth. Oh, I saw you right? tweet about that. And Tyler, that's one thing where you need to relax. <laughs> if the city of Dallas grows at the fastest predicted rate from the state demographer for a hundred years, our current supply is sufficient. Okay. That's good. That's not Dallas the is the most the water rich, large okay. city in Texas and maybe in the United States. Check that and off the list. Yeah. It, yeah. and it's, be, and look, it ain't great, man. The way we did that is by building tons of reservoirs in East Texas that are not exactly environmentally friendly and haven't done a lot to improve people's lives in East Texas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, thinking about, gosh, all of the issues that the city faces. Uh, you know, yeah, your point sports. is your point is still correct. There are yes. the, the, what is his what is his energy on? What is his attention on? And it has never been on the important thing. Yeah, no. And this was something that when he tweeted it originally, you know, I kind of dismissed it as being like, well, that's just a crazy thing to, to, to go on about, sort of like attacking Southwest Airlines over having people wear masks, um, right? But now that it has continued to become a thing and they're making it an official committee, uh, I'm just flabbergasted at what the hell is going on at, at City Hall. I mean, there are so many more things that should be demanding the mayor and council's attention than this crazy, crazy idea. Well, um, I have repeatedly praised the current council. I think in terms of a collection of individuals, it might be the best council that's ever been assembled for the city of Dallas, but um, they're a year in, almost a year in, and the number of meaningful strategic initiatives that have been undertaken by these council members is uh, deficient. Um, Chad West doesn't have to apologize to anybody. He's carried his weight. And the, I don't think I would give a passing grade to the rest of them. And so there are a lot of reasons for that, a, a ton of them. And I will, you know, in future episodes, we'll elucidate some of those. Some of those have been told to me in confidence, and I won't elucidate, but there's some stuff the listener can know about that. And if you have questions, like, send them. Um, but it's, there are reasons why they haven't undertaken larger stuff, but it's their inaction that has allowed a vacuum in the agendas of the city council to allow the mayor to um, give life and energy to stupid ideas. This being, yeah, a big one. <laughs> um, I, don't, other things I think we're there, the, man. Yeah. Look, we, we've given the people, like, way more content than normal. And so this we can... Been a, this has been I a think long we can episode. ice the remaining topics until next week. We won't have runoff shit we may have results to talk about that'd be kind of fun guess yeah 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 I think we'll, that, e we'll uh, either be i'll be drinking either in celebration or in um sorrow you drink it yeah you're a winner either way in that uh, in that book <laughs> good to see you man hey awesome thanks take care man bye That was fun.